listening to the Astral Hour. I'm your host, Astral Meadow. Join me as we take a glimpse into the mysterious. Welcome everyone. Today I'm joined once again with my friend Philip Clift. In some of our past episodes, we've explored topics like death and rebirth, alchemy of the nine dimensions, the model of the psyche, esoteric cycles, and yoga practice and philosophy. But for today's episode, we will be exploring the mysterious origins of Halloween. Welcome back to the show. Happy to be here. Great subject, so looking forward to it. Yes, I'm so excited. I don't know how we've went two years and not <laughs> and not done this yet. Covered but, this, uh, yeah. I'm really excited, and I know our audience will absolutely love the work that you've put into this. So, All right, so let's start off with what are some of the oldest Halloween traditions? Well, to start with, it's important to understand that um, celebrations occurring uh, around this time of year are pagan. They predate Christianity. And they directly relate to astrological and astronomical observances based on what are known as the solstices and equinoxes and the periods in between. So this is um, represented in what's called the wheel of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a summer solstice, a winter solstice, a spring and a fall equinox. And then there are points exactly in between those that are covered on the wheel of the year. And... Uh, Everyone thinks it's called Samhain, but it's actually Sawin or Sawin, more accurately, I believe. Mm-hmm. That comes directly in between the autumn equinox and winter solstice. So it's the point directly in between. Um, and that was celebrated uh, typically as the end of summer and the beginning of winter, or, or the beginning of the light time period of the year and the dark period of the year. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason it's associated with so much heaviness and darkness and, you know, maybe maybe a little bit of fear or, you know, uh, not knowing what's going to be happening. Right, you know, a lot of unknowns. Yeah, a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. So it goes all the way back, you know, as far as recorded history, honestly. Um you know, into the, you know, the post-Diluvian records concerning civilization. So it would go back as far as ancient Samaria, ancient Egypt, ancient Hinduism, Mesoamerican. So, you know, every culture on earth that goes back to the beginning of recorded history, essentially celebrated this in one way or another. And typically it had to do with you know, the dead or the end of summer winter symbolizes death. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but also the death of loved ones and, you know, um, you know, seasons, harvest time, you know, so endings essentially. Right. Yeah. That like going into that dormant period, Mm -hmm. which is very purgatory. If you think about it, it absolutely is. Yeah. So for people who don't know, um, the solstices are the days uh, of the year where uh, the summer solstice is the longest day of the year, and the winter solstice is the shortest day of the year, and the equinoxes are the days that where day and night are equal. There's only two points throughout the year that that's true. So the autumnal equinox and then the uh, spring equinox. So it makes sense that our ancestors would celebrate that as they, you know, 
are very much into the the cycles of time and the seasons and they were extremely in tune to the cosmos Mm -hmm. you know i mean they they didn't have screens to look at every night and so they gazed up into the night and you know the night sky was alive in those days you know there was not the light pollution that we have now so there was so much visible that we can't see now so it was it was a big deal to the ancient people yeah they you know they based a lot of uh you know their their culture around what they observed in the heavens which is an interesting example of the principle of correspondence Mm -hmm. the hermetic principle of correspondence you know as above so below yeah yeah and if you think just the earth alone they were so tuned into the earth so the below part would be like they're literally watching you know uh the trees change and the it's getting cooler and so they they saw what was occurring on earth as a direct reflection of what was occurring in the cosmos right so yeah so with the word sawin um which culture does that particular it relates to the ancient celtic Oh, it's Celtic. Yeah, okay. it's Celtic. It's it's uh, probably Druidic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and again, it's pronounced. So you, you sometimes you'll hear it pronounced Sawin, or mm-hmm. it's actually more accurately pronounced Sawin. 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 Yeah, yeah. So it's the point directly again, the point directly between the autumnal equinox and the winter solstice. What are some examples of ways that other cultures celebrate this holiday? And what exactly are they celebrating? Yeah, well, the Judeo-Christian culture celebrates Halloween. They, they actually came up with the uh, All Hallows Eve, and they're basing that on All Saints Day and All Souls Day, which are the next two days. So All Saints Day would be November 1st, All Souls Day, November 2nd. Okay, so it's like the eve of The eve of that. Holidays. Yeah, just like Christmas Eve. Yeah. And then, yeah, obviously, with the Celtic or the Druid, it's Samhain or Samhain. Egypt, it has associated, ancient Egypt, it's associated with the slaying of Osiris. Okay. Yeah, the Lord of the Dead. Yeah, and Assyria, it's called the month of, oh, this word is tough to pronounce, Arasamna. Okay. Yeah, and then Persia, it's called Morded Month. Peru, it's the Ayamarca Festival. Polynesia, the Feast of the Ancestors, honoring the dead. Mexico, the Day of the Dead. Now, a lot, most, a lot of people are familiar with the Day of the Dead. You mm-hmm. know, the sugar skulls and all that represent the Day of the Dead. In India, it's the Festival of Durga. So Durga would be a um, manifestation of Kali. Mm-hmm. So the uh, Kali represents the... Kali is the consort of Shiva. So she's considered a, the the female aspect of the destroyer, essentially, or the transformer, or the alchemizer, maybe would be a better word. Um, you know, and then we go into the Mayans. So the uh, Zontamak festival in Australia, they have the Feast of the Dead and the Ancestors. In Japan, Feast of the Lanthorns. So it's celebrate. It's important to understand that this this time period is celebrated the world over, regardless of cultural history or um, belief systems surrounding religion or philosophy. Uh, it's it's just a period of time that's always been celebrated since the beginnings of recorded history. How do you think? this is like that there's this uniformity within this time of observance scattered with cultures that were 
making no contact with each other, scattered across the globe, yet they all somehow are celebrating the same holiday and, and almost practicing like the same kind of rituals to a certain extent. You know, how, how does that happen? Well, again, it, it, it has to do with the the fact of the astronomical, astrological aspect of the whole thing. So all the cultures were observing. Yeah, yeah. They were highly the attuned to the cosmos, you know. So it was an important day because it was the point directly between the solstice and the equinox. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then there's some other stuff concerning the Pleiades and the Torrid Meteor Stream, which we'll get into later. But, yeah. Um, I, you know, in my opinion, the reason that it's celebrated the world over is simply because of the astronomical, astrological okay. alignments. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if, you know, there's some theories that, you know, it was all that some of these cultures did intermingle before, you know, there was like land separation and things. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you, you could definitely look at it that way. Like there was a common, uh, mother culture. Right, like even further back that we... That would be an antediluvian history. Right, right. And then Mm -hmm. it was sort of scattered as they, you know, re-inhabited different parts of the globe. Yeah, so that's going to bring up the, you know, the global cataclysm that we're going to talk about later. Right, right. Okay, so let's explore a little bit about the role that the Pleiades plays in some of these traditions. Well, the Pleiades... um, also known as the Seven Sisters, is a group a group of seven stars that are located um, visually from Earth in the constellation of Taurus. So mm-hmm. right at the shoulder of Taurus. Taurus was recognized as a constellation as far back as sixteen thousand years. You know the uh, the cave pain, the famous cave painting from um, I forget the exact place in France, but it's an ancient cave painting and it shows. A bull, and at the shoulder of the bull are seven dots, which obviously refers to the the Pleiades, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really interesting. And um, Pleiades rise at sundown and culminate at midnight in late October and early November. So one of the reasons this is important is because the uh, of the what's known as the Torrid Meteor Stream. So when you look up into the night sky, exactly where you would see the Pleiades at the shoulder of Taurus, the, at that time of year, there are two points in the, in the year, in mid to late June and then uh, mid to late October through probably November 17th, uh, the Torrid meteor stream is visible in the night sky. And when you look up, it's right at the shoulder of the bull. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the constellation of Taurus and the Pleiades star system. So that that's how the Pleiades fits into all this. It has to do with the Taurid meteor stream. Right, which is definitely something you would notice with no light pollution and nothing else going on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's a, just, you know, there, you can even see it now with the light pollution. There will be hundreds of oh, meteors. It's, it's a it's a it's a show you know i mean and the torrid meteor stream it's important to understand it's fragments of the comet inky okay yeah so um comet inky was first discovered about 200 years ago and you know it's broken up over time and the pieces of it have formed the torrid meteor stream so that comet and maybe a few others that are not known yet but definitely comet inky is a big um source of the torrid meteor stream 
Interesting. Uh, I feel like that just like got my wheels turning into all sorts of other things that I won't bring up right now. Yeah, inky is an important term. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we could go all into that, but let's. Yeah, right, let's that could be a whole other podcast. Uh-huh, yeah. So we know that there are lots of festivals from October 31st through November 2nd. Is there anything significant about November 17th that you have observed in your studies? November 17th is um, essentially the um, last day for the uh, tarred meteor stream to uh, to be really visible in the night sky. So it was celebrated in ancient Mexico. Um, on uh, the 17th of November. And it had to do uh, with this. Also goes into the global cataclysm that we touched on briefly. Um, so they would do human sacrifice at that time in order to prevent or hope in hopes of preventing that particular event from happening again. Right. And that's the day that they chose was the seventeenth. And I think it had to do with the fact that. Uh, the meteor stream is kind of ending at that point. So they felt like if they got to the end of it, that they were probably safe at that point. So they wanted to give thanks to the gods, whoever, right? you know, for sparing them mm-hmm. that level of devastation right? again. Yeah. Which is interesting because I think sometimes we look at these ancient cultures and are like, wow, they're so you know, evil, like how could they do these sacrifices? Well, I think so much of it is like they were scared, you know, they truly thought that these deities, you know, would, you know, lash out onto them. And um, if they didn't, so it's like hard to understand because our culture is set up so differently, but I don't think it's like because they were trying to be like this evil uh, sacrificial culture. I mean, it's just, it was a part of their belief system. They felt like it had to be done. Right. To save the many. Yeah. Yeah. They were willing to sacrifice the few to save the many for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, unfortunately, you know, that they, they felt like that was, I guess, the only way that it could be done. Right. And if you think about the cataclysm, I mean, if you thought the whole world was, you know, might go yeah. under, yeah, it would yeah. make sense. Why, okay. Well, maybe we'll have a one sacrifice. But I mean, it's, there was all sorts of cultures all over the world that were doing similar rituals to that at the, you know. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, and a guy named Randall Carlson has kind of tied all this together. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. He, um, he's he been studying this for a while. He's got a great episode on YouTube you can watch about the uh, origins of Halloween. Um, and he has tied it all back to this, what's called the Younger Dryas period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, a really significant event occurred at that time that he feels like is embedded in the racial memory or the collective memory of humanity. And that's another reason that these this particular period of time is so important and and was celebrated, not just because of the placement between the solstice and the equinox, but because a significant event in human history happened right around that time. Right. And even though there's that collective amnesia, I feel like the fact that it's in there at all, it's still in the collective. Oh, it is. So it's like that could also explain why all these cultures are tuned into it as well is because there is a, a part of them 
that's connected to the collective that remembers that, but it's so unconscious, you know, that they might not have fully understood because they've forgotten, you know, how it all started. One of the reasons, I think one of the reasons that we've forgotten is because our culture has become extremely rational. Right. You know, uh, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to read you a, a quote from parade magazine in 2010 describing Halloween. And this is kind of how, you know, a, a holiday that was extremely important at one time has gradually devolved over time until, you know, modern day. And this is kind of how it's viewed now by most people. So this is called lessons from the great pumpkin. Uh, this is from Parade Magazine 2010. For those of you who don't know, Parade Magazine was a, a little insert in the actual hard copy newspaper people used to read. And it only came on Sunday. And it usually had, you know, a couple of interesting articles about, you know, some, you know, interesting topic of, you know, either a holiday or, um, you know, something that was socially relevant. So the true genius of the great pumpkin may be in the way it sends up other holiday parables by having a character seek deeper meaning in the sole holiday that has no real lesson to teach. So they're implying that Halloween has no real lesson to teach us. Is there any other day we celebrate that is as empty of moral or historical significance? Halloween exists today simply so that kids can dress up, run around after dark, eat too much candy, and scare the pants off one another. So modern culture has essentially dismissed Halloween as a children's holiday. Right. But it's very, very possible that it has tremendous significance, cultural significance. Right. So what does it do to us collectively to disregard the sacredness of this time period? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know... Um, it has to do, a lot of it has to do with, with uh, amnesia, like a species-wide amnesia. And it's because that period of time was so traumatic that we've just kind of shoved it down into the collective unconscious. Right. Um, but it's starting to resurface again now. So people are, um, another good quote is that, um, this is an interesting quote, um, the ancient knowledge will again abound and overflow as water upon the earth. The remains of this knowledge are everywhere about us in everyday use and perfect. So I don't, I don't know how many people have noticed, but it seems to me like, especially with, you know, TV shows, um, on Netflix, like Graham Hancock's ancient apocalypse, that a lot of the things that predate, our understanding of human history are starting to surface again. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these, um, you know, uh, understanding of ancient megaliths, you know, Gobekli Tepe is a great example. Um, you know, we thought that um, sophisticated human culture started about 6,000 years ago, but then the discovery of Gobekli Tepe is completely un up overturned that. And it goes back 6,000 years before that it's 12,000 years old. And it shows, Signs of very sophisticated understanding of um, astronomical alignment, construction methods, you know, um, just it's not a hunter-gatherer society that created that. Right. You know, and it's astronomically aligned as well. So a lot of these megalithic structures were trying to point out something very specific. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson have have kind of come to the conclusion that it's a lot of it is based on this younger Darius period, 12,800 to 11,600 years ago. And it's called uh, the, the hypothesis is the younger Darius impact hypothesis. Um, so the idea is that there was a massive uh, global cataclysm at that point that kind of reset humanity and human culture. So everything before that was was pretty much wiped out. And that's mm-hmm. why it's hard to find evidence of anything. You know, Gobekli Tepe, for example, was intentionally buried. It's like they knew it was it coming. Was coming. Yeah. So they buried it so they could preserve it. Mm-hmm. So it would eventually be dug up and kind of jar people's memory. Right. You know, when we were ready. Yeah. When we were ready to, to actually accept it and consider it as a, you know, realistic possibility, right. which we have, you know, there's, you know, the internet's available now and there's so much knowledge that is just available to the average person that wasn't, you know, 30 years ago. Right. And it's right. helping us to really see how it all interconnects because now we have this ability to look at all the other cultures and to go to these places and see, wow, they have the same, you know, pyramid, you know, in a similar kind of alignment with this. So there must have been some kind of universal connection here, you know, where no question about they, it. We couldn't do that a couple hundred years ago. I mean, maybe, yeah. a, you know, some people were traveling and making some connections, but now it's like, you can Google it, find the images, you know, look at all these descriptions because we've had these wonderful archaeologists and scientists and all these people over time that have been documenting this. Oh, a lot we of them can put it together. Yeah. I mean, a, a significant number of the megaliths were covered up by either jungle or sand or right. water. I mean, they weren't even visible. Oh, yeah. And then they've been uncovered in the past, you know, 100, 150, 200 years or and there's so. There's no telling what, what else is out there. Right. I mean, I'm looking at Antarctica, like, there's. You can look at some of the pictures of an article. I'm like, that's definitely something like a pyramid or something that is being covered. So I feel like once we can really explore that, which I don't know if they'll ever allow it, because I think that they know that there's a bunch going on there and it would connect a lot of dots. Oh my gosh, totally. And, you know, the coastal regions are becoming really... yeah, they're really starting to open up, and they're this, they've discovered a lot of stuff underwater right off right. the coast, and that has to do with the rising sea levels from this cataclysm. Right. So a lot of the, you know, you know how people tend to congregate around, you know, the coastlines because mm-hmm. it's a beautiful place to live, right? And it's, you know, it's, you know, um, you can access by water what you need to at the coastlines, and mm-hmm. um, so a lot of that was covered up because of the rising sea levels during this younger Darius period, 12,800 to 11,600 years ago. Um, I guess we should go ahead and talk about that since we're... Yeah, let's go ahead. Yeah, let's just go ahead and get into that. So um, since... Okay, so the younger Darius hypothesis came about about the year 2007. So hints of just such a, a catastrophe have returned and with a vengeance in the form of a new scientific theory. It's called the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis, which proposes that a major cosmic impact event occurred at what's called the Younger Dryas Boundary 12,800 years ago. The proponents of this hypothesis suggest that the agency was a giant comet that broke up into multiple fragments either before or during its entry into Earth's atmosphere. 
and suggest also that North America was the epicenter of the resulting cataclysm, with several of the largest fragments of the comet impact directly on the North American ice cap. So essentially what happened, apparently, and they've discovered uh, an impact crater in Greenland. Mm. It's called the Hiawatha Crater. And it relates directly to this time period. But um, apparently the fragments of this comet, Comet Inky, mm-hmm. a torrid meteors is what, they're, what it's called. Uh, they impacted the uh, North American ice sheet. So there was like a mile to two miles of glacier at that time. You have to realize this was right at the end of the last ice age. Mm-hmm. So there, that entire area was covered in ice. So these com- visualize this, these comets hit the area. And when they hit it, they cause like this massive amount of water to melt. And this incredible flooding occurred. So mm-hmm. what's an example that we know of in history of a great flood? Right. The whole Noah's story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, 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 parable of Noah's Ark from, from Christianity. Um, and that is not only a Christian story, but it's in stories all over the yeah, world. Yeah. You know, I mean, so it's, it's a common universal one, theme. Yeah. He wasn't the only one that God gave that message to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there were, you know, all, all over the world, these, these cultures, uh, remember this flood event. Mm-hmm. So, and we're actually discovering what actually happened during that time now, you know? Right. So, there's evidence of it up in what's called the Washington Scablands. So again, Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock do a really good job of presenting this information on the show, Ancient Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And there's just physical evidence of this massive amount of flooding that occurred during that time. And it wiped out 75% of the megafauna on the North American continent. So the megafauna would be like the woolly mammoths and the saber-toothed tigers and, you know, the uh, short-faced bear and right. the dire wolf and all these things that we that we remember from, um, from that period of, you know, early human history. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of it was wiped out during that time, you know, and some of the, and it happens so quickly in a lot of, instances there were woolly mammoths that were flash or frozen so there are intact woolly mammoth bodies right you know they, some of them even have uh, partially digestive food in their mm-hmm. stomachs so this it, so it happened really really quickly it was just like a sudden event that occurred in these and it was just extremely traumatic right and um there's also um this um, black mat boundary that has been discovered that is more evidence to support this hypothesis. And it, it, in the geologic strata, it shows like this black mat all over the, you know, in several different places throughout the world mm-hmm. where, where um, it, that type of material can only be part of a cosmic impact. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's uh, pretty well confirmed that that, actually happened at this point there there are some people that are resisting it but the evidence is mounting more and more every day that right. there was a you know and interestingly enough it was it was recorded in in you know a lot of the ancient religious texts right so it was a it was a major event and you know like we said earlier there was a collective amnesia that built up around it so people you know either relegated it to myth or they're in denial about it because it was so traumatic and it that's exactly what happens 
with, you know, the human psyche. Right. Uh, when you experience a traumatic event, you repress it into the subconscious. Right. It's like you're dissociating and you're not making that connection. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's the way your brain is protecting you. Yeah, exactly. It'll, it'll, otherwise, you'd just be completely traumatized and you wouldn't be able to navigate life. Right. You know, so you have to like be able to kind of push it, push it aside so you don't have to focus on it. But, you know, it's coming, it's coming back to the forefront and, uh, you know, I'm not really sure exactly why it is at this time, but it is. And we need to really pay attention to it because it's going to give us a better understanding of who we are and where we came from. Yes. I, I feel like we're disempowered by not knowing. Like, I think that it is disconnecting us from no question about it, our true history. And then I think so many people are just walking around and like, they don't even, you know, it's, there's no goal, there's no purpose, there's no path, like they don't, you know, and like, we're all kind of like depressed from that, I feel like, because we don't, we're not connected to our ancestors. uh, And we don't remember where we came from, where some of these other cultures, there's, you know, it's a myth, but they believe it, you know what I mean? And they're like, no, this, we are from the stars, we're from the Pleiades, you know, Mm -hmm. and then there's something about that. Those cultures are a lot more healthy, you know, and they have a goal and a purpose. And, you know, I don't know. I just feel like that disconnection is messing with us in a way that we can't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's allowed us to, to, uh, develop, you know, rational thought and logical thinking to a very high degree, but we're, we're, but we've, we've sacrificed something in order to do that. And it's, it's the connection to myth and archetype and, you know, these, these stories about the flood are very archetypal in Mm -hmm. nature, you know, and we've, you know, we've kind of lost contact with that, but that's coming back, you know, and, you know, Carl Jung is, one of the guys that's one of the people that's primarily primarily responsible for that, you know, with his Jungian archetypes and, mm-hmm. you know, Joseph Campbell's another person that has kind of started to bring this side of the human psyche back into balance. Right. Right. Know? It's still very rational, but it's like, maybe these symbols are telling us something deeper. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe we have... can explore our own inner world by studying what our ancestors had written and what we thought was just fantasy. Yeah, yeah, they actually have. They're grounded in reality instead of just being straight fantasy. Right, and I yeah. feel like that that all of it is set up that way for a reason. Like we were meant to sort of be fully immersed into the spirit and to have all this, but then to become more rational and mental and focus on that. And now I think we're at that point, we're right at that cusp where we're merging that science and spirit finally. And people are starting to be like, oh, I think that this all connects. And mm-hmm. just being in the rational mind doesn't satisfy me. Right. And I, I need to go back to what is soothing my spirit. Like what makes me feel, Absolutely. you know, that eternal being kind of thing that like gives me a reason to keep going, yeah. you know, and that I've done this before. And it's important to balance those two things. I mean, if you're overly spiritual, you tend to be ungrounded. Right. And you have trouble like, locking into and navigating right you know your daily life right right but if you're overly logical and overly rational then you become um just stuck you know like hardened like concrete yeah yeah energy doesn't flow well so you need to balance those two things to be you know to have a you know more holistic view and perception of reality right we've lost that connection to soul 
somehow along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have. It's coming back, though. It's coming back with a vengeance. Oh, yeah, for sure. I definitely (laughs) feel like there's an awakening happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's also interesting to me thinking about like the amnesia and all this because uh, when I did the Edgar Casey episode, I went, you know, reread some of his books and stuff. And I'm pretty sure it was like 70% of the people that he read for um, were Atlanteans at some point. And it makes me think that, you know, those particular souls are reincarnating right now as we are starting to remember and like to get the, you know, the evidence again. And it's Uh like, I feel like there's something going on there is like we're, we were all there and now we're all reincarnating as like a group because I feel like we're going to have to replay that out somehow, but like make the good choice this time or, you know, uh, to remember that trauma maybe together. Yeah. Yeah. Collectively. Yeah. Yeah. And process it. Yeah. And then move past it. Right. Yeah. And what better time than Scorpio season, right. To talk Mm -hmm. about stuff like trauma, because that is, you know, digging up what's buried, you know? Yeah. And, um, I think too, our, the reason like our culture is so against some of these things is because we are, we don't have a good connection to with death. It's really scary because when you lose that connection to soul and you know, you don't talk about reincarnation and things, death becomes really, you know, veiled and you're afraid. But then these other cultures, they, they're giving themselves that space to process their ancestors that they have lost to communicate with them, to eat with them, to dance with them. And then death becomes less scary. Yeah. That was one of the reasons for the celebration at this time of year. Right. Is to commune with the dead. I mean, all, all all over the world, all the celebrations had something to do with a festival of the dead. Right. To give yeah. you that time yeah. to reconnect them, to give them that moment together, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's when you celebrate it, it becomes less scary. So I feel like when we've disconnected from it, we've actually, that's where the fear comes from mm-hmm. is because we've disconnected from death as a whole and we just... It's like, okay, this person died and I just need to, you know, move on, yeah. you know? And I've noticed this as I've lost parents and went through grief. And it's like, people just kind of expect you to just like, forget that these people existed. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm still thinking of them. I dream about them. You know, when the veil's thin, I feel like I'm, I dream about them even more. Um, and I think it's beautiful to give yourself that space to be with them and then connect with them energetically, whether you're looking at a picture or cooking their favorite food, because that keeps their spirit alive. And then I actually think it can help you process grief. Definitely. To give yourself that space instead of just keep convincing people that they need to just shove it aside and, you know, just don't focus on it. Don't focus on it. You know, it gives you a chance to focus on it. It does. And it also connects you with that realm of consciousness, right. too, that exists beyond the right. quote unquote veil. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, just a little bit more about the Younger Darius period. Let me read this. This is a really interesting bit of information here. So the epic, which geologists call the Younger Darius, so it's named after a species of alpine flower that flourishes in cold conditions. Mm. That's where Younger Darius comes from. Has long been recognized as mysterious and tumultuous. When it began 12,800 years ago, the Earth had been emerging from the Ice Age for roughly 10,000 years. Global temperatures were rising steadily and the ice caps were melting. Then there was a sudden, dramatic return to colder conditions, nearly as cold as at the peak of the Ice Age 
21,000 years ago. This short, sharp deep freeze lasted for 1,200 years until 11,600 years ago when the warming trend resumed with incredible rapidity, global temperature shot up again, and the remaining ice caps quite quickly melted away, dumping massive amounts of water into the oceans and rising sea levels significantly around the world. So like we were saying earlier, a lot of this, a lot of these cultures from antediluvian times mm -hmm. are buried underwater and the, the, the remains of these cultures are buried underwater around the coastal regions. Right. And those are starting to emerge now with improved technology, you know, underwater technology and capabilities. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to keep happening, like, as above, so below. I think as we are able to explore, you know, space more and discover, you know, new types of asteroids and different types of planets and all this, that more is going to rise from below. Uh -huh, and absolutely. it's going to make more sense of these objects that we're just now discovering. Again, as above, so below. Right. right? It's an example of the principle of correspondence. So. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel like we discovered Chiron right when... We were, you know, starting to process like the psychological stuff and yeah. like trauma and healing and, you know, holistic well-being. Like it, it, it's like it it happens perfectly. It's like perfect alignment when we find these things. So I do think it's more and more is going to be discovered yeah. beneath our feet. Yeah, as the human psyche uh, allows for Right. It. And yeah. I think it's like divinely timed. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's cyclical. Yeah. You know, it's very cyclical. Um, so the veil, uh, do you yeah, have a question about the veil? Let's talk a little bit about the significance of the thinning veil. Cause I think a lot of people don't fully understand what that means. Uh -huh. Well, it's because it's, you know, in modern culture, it's, it, it represents a lot, several different things, you know, honestly. Uh, well, let's start with, uh, ancient Hindu philosophy. So the veil in ancient Hindu philosophy is known as Maya mm -hmm. or illusion, right? So, uh, or even better, temporary state. I prefer the I prefer that over illusion. Uh, temporary, so it's like a temporary state of consciousness. So like, um, it's a fundamental aspect of material reality, and that it allows for linear or step by step time, mm. right? And which creates the which creates the illusion of past and future. Right. Right when there is actually only the present, only the now. It also allows for duality, which allows for the appearance of separation between people and objects and everything. So it allows you to be able to be an individual right. and to experience individuated consciousness. Right. Yeah, so it's a necessary aspect of three-dimensional reality. But at this time of year, apparently, it thins, mm -hmm. and we can kind of see through it a little bit more effectively. Right. Um, it allows for the cycle of death and rebirth. Right, as opposed to just continuation of consciousness. So um, it represents the boundary between the 3D material realm and all the other dimensions. Like, you know, we talked about, I think we did we did an episode on the nine dimensions. Yeah, yeah. Right? So there are nine of those, according to Barbara Hanclow. And uh, it's also the boundary between uh, the world of the living and the world of the dead. So... Like we talked about that earlier, and, and the ancient cultures were really, um, they felt very strongly about connecting with the realm of the dead or purgatory or Hades or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. you know, during this period of time. Um, 
it's the you know it's not just um halloween but it's the entire period between the equinox which occurs around september 21st and uh november 1st mm-hmm. so the entire period between maybon and maybon and uh, Samhain. um but it peaks that it's important that it peaks at the very end of the cycle so right. december 30 i mean uh, october 31st um, you know, another real interesting aspect of this, uh, the Halloween, I don't know how many people realize this, but the Halloween tradition of wearing scary costumes came about as a way to appear scarier than and frighten any type of dark entity that may appear through the veil. Mm. So the reason you wear the costume is so that you will appear scarier right. than anything that might come up. Mm. Right. So, and, it, and the dark entities refer to, uh, what the theosophists call the uh, the Davic realm. So that's where the realm of the jinn and fairies and demons and, you know, more etheric type beings right. that make themselves visible mm-hmm. as the veil thins. Right. Yeah. Maybe some egregores, <laughs> like yeah. collective fears and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And that's why everyone's wanting to watch the movies and, mm-hmm. you know, all the, the gothic literature and all that becomes more popular around this time. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like some people celebrate it without actually, you know, knowing why they're celebrating it. They're still naturally just drawn to it, you know. Yeah, it's in the collective unconscious, you know, regardless of if you're, you know, like conscious of it or not. It's in there and right. you have access to it, right? you know, and at this time of year, it surfaces a little bit. So that that's another veil that kind of thins during this time is the veil between your conscious mm-hmm. mind and your unconscious mind. Right. You know, so it gives you access to, you know, collective memories or in personal memories. Right. And like the shadow stuff. The all, Yeah. Yeah. Young shadow realm. Becomes more evident. Like it's a great time to do things like shadow work and like that inner, you know, stuff. Because it's, you know, as we move into winter, there is more space for that because there's less events and, you know, it's not as fun to be out outside and stuff. So it's a great time to start looking within it's more readily available yeah it it's is. easier to access yeah at this time of year so and that has to do with our connection with nature and the cosmos right you know and there's a, there's an actual like thing happening that allows the veil to actually thin for mm-hmm. everyone so it's not it's not just slowing down and it, the fact that it's becoming winter but there's an actual you know material phenomenon that occurs that causes the veil to to thin and gives us access to those layers of consciousness, both individually and collectively. Right. Which it's probably good that we're not in that all the time. So it's actually nice that it's like a season or it's, you know, it's a small event because we don't want to get like, you don't want to get stuck in the shadows, you know, Mm -mm. it'd be overwhelming if it was all the time. But when you work with that energy, then you can move forward in, I think, a more productive way because it is a part of you. It's so important that it's cyclical like that. Right. Yeah, because it it gives you a chance to decompress from it and then it comes back again and you can process it more effectively. Right. Yeah. For sure. And I, I really hadn't looked into like All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And I didn't realize that the Halloween word actually came from Catholicism. Mm hmm. Um, I didn't know they, that until, you know, a couple of days ago when I was, I actually watched uh, a priest give his little sermon on it. 
And um, so like All Saints Day, they're observing the specific saints. And then on Souls Day, it's like, well, everyone's a saint, you know, so anyone that has passed. Everyone that's departed. Yeah. yeah and then you Souls pray Day. for them to cross over. <clears throat> so I feel like that's similar, you know, connecting with the dead, praying for them to what like, you know, the Day of the Dead stuff is doing, but through a, a Catholic lens. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the Christians reject, you know, all sorts of the Halloween stuff. I, I know I see a lot of critical, you know, uh, statements and stuff made around this time against pagans, against all of the celebrations. But I'm like, the Catholics are fully immersed into it. And like, they kind of celebrate it in a way. So it, it was interesting to me to learn more about that because I was like, oh, wow, I hadn't seen like Christians honoring it because I, I just wasn't raised up in Catholicism. So. They, uh, quote unquote, culturally appropriated a lot right. of the pagan, um, you know, the, the, the sites. So they mm -hmm. actually, the power sites on the planet, they would actually build churches and cathedrals, right. you know, on these points that were really important to pagans. And then they, they taken over their holidays too. Right. I mean, you could say that Christmas is a celebration of the winter solstice, right? You know, Easter is a celebration of the springs, the spring equinox, mm -hmm. you know, and you know, obviously, you know, Halloween is the point directly in between autumnal equinox and winter solstice, which was a really, really critical time for the ancient pagans and the Christians just kind of took that time over and they made it right. all saints day. Right. And they were yeah. like even dressed way up of covering up what right. the, Dressing what the pagans up were like saints. Yeah. Yeah. But that like wouldn't bother me so bad if it wasn't like this rejection and just like mocking all the other people that are doing so. I'm like, but you guys are doing your own thing. So like, why can't we just, well, yeah, <laughs> Let, let's just acknowledge that they were doing it and what they right. were doing. And then, you know, but then they've demonized right, all right. of the other celebrations, which correspond to their own. So there must be a link. I don't know. The pagans, the druids, all these people were nature, nature worshipers. Right. And by worshiping nature, they, they just believed that God was nature. Right. And the Christians say that too. They say God is omnipresent. So God right. is, God is part of, I mean, God is nature. Right. So it was just, it's the same thing. Right. So yeah. I feel like the essence of Christianity is great and it's beautiful, but then it's just like the governments and stuff, it's been taken over and it's like, okay, well, this is how we're going to separate everybody because right. now you're going to think these people are demonic because their kids are dressing up for Halloween, you know, divide um, and conquer. Exactly. It feels division, like intentional you can control. division, but yeah. it's not necessarily in the message. No, but it's like something that it's like a, an, on top of it, like a layer on top of it. That's creating that separation. Um, Versus just us all being able to embrace that we all have our own holidays and mm -hmm. they're around the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of a cool thing to me uh, that all the cultures are doing something around this time. But uh, so yeah. I just thought that was interesting as I was learning about it. Um, so what are some ways that you feel we can bring back the imagination and folk mentality when we celebrate this time of the year? Um, obviously by... Um, reconnecting with nature mm -hmm. and the natural cycles. I know so many people that have started hiking, you know, in recent years and, and, and getting back to nature. It allows you to start to reconnect with uh, this fundamental aspect of life that is easily lost in modern culture. You know, people who live in cities, you know, they have the light pollution. They can't see the night sky. Mm -hmm. They're not, 
exposed to the natural world on a regular basis, you know, and, and getting back to that is critically important. Um, apparently before the electric light was invented, we didn't sleep in eight hour periods like we do now. We had like two periods during the night that we, that we slept in like two, three to four hour periods. And we would be up in the middle of the night for a couple of hours and being very productive at that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always found that really interesting because the, the invention of the electric light has altered our natural rhythm and cycle surrounding sleep. Right. Um, the fact that we don't look up and see the depth of what is occurring in the night sky mm-hmm. is cutting us off from a really significant aspect of our reality. That's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are places on earth where you can go that there's no light pollution now. And when you do, when you go there, if you ever look at a picture of that from, um, you know, on Google or whatever, you can see, so much more stuff going on. Right. I mean, it's fascinating. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It invokes something deep in your subconscious mind when you look at that, when you see that. Right. You know, and it attunes you with the natural, and it starts to attune you with the natural cycles, which, um, you know, I mean, we're we're part of nature, right? Right. So we we are intended to function with the flow of the you know of the flow of nature, essentially right. the seasons, the cycles, you know, we're meant to be more, you know, we're meant to slow down in the winter time. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's a, a period of hibernation or however you want to look at it. You know, we're meant to be more active in the, in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of us have lost touch with that. You know, the way that our society is set up, I mean, we're supposed to be productive all year round. Right. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like this, this constant um, drawing of energy that we don't necessarily have. We've got to have t- periods of time where we rest and recover, mm-hmm. but we've lost touch with that. Right. So therefore we've lost touch with, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the essence of folklore. Right. Right. Folklore supported all that. Right. Give yourself that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing we can do is, uh, you know, begin to recognize and attune to fourth dimensional reality, the archetypal realm. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can do that. You know, there are a lot of a lot of, of good books and movies that that really access that. You know, what comes to mind immediately would be Lord of the Rings. Right. Any of Tolkien stuff. Uh, Star Wars, yeah, you know the Matrix, Harry Potter, things like that that are very, very archetypal in nature. And you know, and then there's you know Joseph Campbell's work, um, based the uh, Hero's Journey, mm-hmm. all that. Um, yeah, studying the Jungian archetypes. If you study Jung's work, yeah. um, you know, if you start drawing mandalas mm-hmm. or sacred geometry, that connects you with this aspect of your consciousness that's deeper than your typical everyday waking consciousness. And it attunes you again with the natural cycles. So you feel more in harmony with, with nature essentially. Um, another thing is you can embrace some of the ancient traditions like uh, that involve communing with the elemental forces, Mm -hmm. like building bonfires at night. Right. That's powerful. You know, Mm -hmm. we've kind of lost touch with what, what, you know, 
fire actually is. We consider fire a bad thing, or we've converted it to electricity and electric lights. But in its natural state, it influences your consciousness mm -hmm. in a very, very impactful way. So that was another tradition that like the Celtic people, the Druids had at this time of year where they would build bonfires mm -hmm. and just go out and be around them. You know, the Native Americans did that too. Right. They danced around the fire. Yeah. I mean, it was important. It, it, it created, it's not just, you know, um, primitive. Right. We tend to look at it as a primitive thing, but it, it's not. It actually does something profound to your consciousness mm -hmm. it alters you in some sig way that's significant right. and important that we've lost touch with right you know we do the same thing all year round no matter what season it is yeah you know we have the same we go to work we do you know we we have we've homogenized the natural cycles and the seasons into like one thing and it's not meant to be that way right and mental illness is like rampant and I think Absolutely. it's because it, we're disconnected from the part of us that is nature yes. as we're forcing ourselves to act a certain way. I also feel like the smoke from fires is clearing your aura. Like you think of people uh -huh. doing the sage, you know, and that the smoke's clearing your house. I truly feel like when I sit by a fire, as much as I want to avoid the smoke, there's something about it that is clearing Cleansing. my auric field. And I think... You know, you're dancing around the fire with your friends and all that, and you're getting the smoke, and you leave there just feeling lighter. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, more balanced. Yeah, like that way. you have transmuted mm -hmm. something because yeah. fire is the great. It's the alchemizer. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if you're not exposed to it, you know, you're kind of missing yeah. that element. Yeah. Another ancient practice that resurfaced about 20 years ago uh, with the work of this guy named HRM uh, is sun gazing. And uh -huh, it, it does a similar type thing and like gazing right at the sun. It's, it's another way of invoking the fire element yeah. in consciousness, you know, barefoot walking is another good thing. Like take your shoes off and mm -hmm. go stand on the earth, right. reconnect with the earth. That's an element, right? You know, it's powerful. It revitalizes you. You know, right. if you, if you feel like you're ungrounded, go bury your feet in the ground right. up to your mid calf or so and just sit there and, and, Pull in the earth energy and it, it transforms you if you do that. Oh, yeah. I watched a whole documentary on earthing and it's so quick that like it was hard for them to say, OK, how long does it take? Because as soon as you took your shoes off and put your feet on the ground, like the healing energy was like almost immediate. absolutely like and this is them looking at the brain and everything. It's just like, mm -hmm. so like you don't even have to do it for that. Like these long no. periods of time, like just every day go outside for just even one minute. With no Stand shoes on. on the ground with no shoes on. Right, because yeah. the, the rubber soles are preventing the connection to the earth. Yes. Which was like... They block it. Yeah. yeah. And who knew? You yeah. know, who knew? Know. Like, we we're, we think, oh, put shoes on, right? Because yeah. it's going to protect your feet. And, and to some extent, that's, you know, true. But it's also important to give yourself that space to have your feet on the ground every single day. And there's so much healing that can occur through just connecting to the earth. Yeah. Prepare yeah. a spot in your yard that you can put your feet on the bare ground, the dirt. Yes. You know, and that that's that's key. I used to, you know, I did sun gazing for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually prepared a spot where I could stand mm -hmm. on the ground and bury my feet in the ground. So I was actually my uh, all the way up to about mid-calf area. I would stand on the ground and, and sun gaze. Right. And that was the most... 
that was one of the most transformative periods of my life right. doing that. I mean, it made a huge, it created a huge shift in my thinking, my perception of reality. Yeah. Super powerful. Another thing that you that you can do is soak your body in geothermal hot springs. Right. We have we have access one. to it. Hot Springs, North Carolina. It's not right. that far from here. Drive up there and go get in one of those tubs and let that natural water, the mm-hmm. element of water, just enliven you. You know, yeah. it's super powerful, especially if the sun's out and you can like you can get the you get the sun, you get the wind, you get the air. You know, and you can walk to the thing barefoot if you want to and get right. the earthing. So you can get all four primary elements at one time yes. there, you know, it's, it's super powerful. And you can go soak in the cold water up in the Smokies if you want to. It doesn't right. have to be a hot spring, you know, and you, and you, and then you get the benefit of the cold water, you know, the anti-inflammatory effect. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah, yeah, these type things are um, powerful and they'll help you like reconnect with this ancient understanding of uh, the natural cycles right and i feel like we're all drawn to specific forms of it you know like some people might be more drawn to you know the water immersion and some people might be more drawn to the 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 grounded earth part of it you know Mm -hmm. probably depending on their astrological charts and stuff like that there's going to be certain um elements that might um be more attractive or appealing Mm -hmm. to certain people but i mean it's crazy because like there are stories of people just healing just doing these basic rituals of reconnecting with nature it's not hard watching their diet eating natural foods not Mm -hmm. processed foods just those little things and then like these all these issues that these people like their neurosis just magically goes away you know and you're Mm -hmm. like well oh all they did was start going outside and sun casing but um yeah i was watching this um there was this tribe and they were saying, like, if nothing else cures somebody, they will dig a hole and put the person in the hole up to their neck and sit with them for, like, maybe it's, like, three days. And wow. that person stays in the hole, and they feed, you know, and uh, give them water and food. They're earthing. And they sit with that. Yeah. And there was a sort of this child, and I can't remember what it was, but she had an illness that would, like, nothing would cure it. And they did that. And by the time she got out of that hole, she was perfectly... It's sure. a reconnection with the telluric realm, which we and talked it, about it in one heals. of our episodes. It yeah, heals It heals you. you. Yeah. So like we wouldn't even have a lot of these issues right. if we didn't put the asphalt down and wear the rubber shoes and, mm. you know, put sunglasses on and cover our, you know, skin with sunscreen. I mean, you can see how like the more we disconnected from the the natural realm, the more we created all of these physical illnesses. Yeah, we've done pretty much everything we can to divorce ourselves from the natural world and modern culture. There's no question about it. I mean, it's just obvious. And we've done it out of convenience. I mean, right. It ma- and I don't it's even made our lives that. easier. Yeah. But it's also taken us away from something vital that yeah. that is really important for health of both the physical body and the psyche. Right. And there's you know? nothing better for the psyche than to have rituals and things like Absolutely. that that help you process these things. So mm-hmm. that's where I feel like... You know, whatever ritual you decide to do this Halloween, you know, to reconnect, it can be completely individual to you. And it's just the act of setting that intention and making sacred space. That's all you need. You know, whether you connect to your ancestors or not, um, you know, it's still a sacred time. So you can work with that energy however you want, you know. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, just take the time to honor the people that you've lost. Right. You know, and think about them. You know, and try to form like a mental, emotional bond and connection with them. You know, another thing that this is, this is a very specific thing that I, that I found while I was doing some research 
Um, it's called making a batch of veil oil. V-E-I-L oil. Yeah. So um, it says whip up a batch of veil oil to anoint tools, candles, your body, whatever, during sawing season. So get a nice bottle that appeals to you. Smoky glass is really good. Fill the bottle with a carrier oil like olive oil or jojoba or, you know, grapeseed oil, whatever you want to do, but some basic oil that you can add. And then uh, try adding these quote unquote spirit herbs. So mm -hmm. cinnamon, allspice, frankincense, myrrh, thieves oil. Just add that and adjust the ratios. But but the uh, the essential oils are really good because that reconnects you with the natural world in a really profound way. Right. Because the they're concentrated, the aromas. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, I remember during, um, I hate to say the word, but during that period of time where we had COVID. Right, the lockdowns. Yeah, yeah, that. I got this thieves oil right yeah and i started using that and i'm like man this is why haven't i been doing this all along you know this mm -hmm. stuff is great it 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 i mean the, just smelling it creates like the shift in your mindset right makes you feel better right you know because it's the the just the aroma is super positive and it right. probably does something physiologically right. i think that as there's well. uh with yeah. thieves there's a part of it that's like antibacterial just mm -hmm. too so not yeah. only is it smelling and opening your lungs and things but it's also antibacterial right and so it's just you know you're putting it on you and it's like it's cleansing right in a lot of ways mm -hmm. so yeah I, I work with essential oils my therapist um makes blends and stuff for even different you know conditions you know like when i was grieving there was certain smells and things that would help support that process mm. and you know it's connecting you to the earth realm it right? is because it's yeah. it's another plant. way of earthing it's like plant medicine yeah. i mean but just through the aromas <clears throat> you don't always have to ingest everything sometimes it's smelling is enough because that's one of the senses you yeah know? it's blending two essential elements air and earth together right. exactly yeah. for sure for mm -hmm. sure so all right well, is there anything else that you would like to get into before we wrap it up? All I want to say is just uh, don't don't try to get past thinking of Halloween as like a silly children's holiday and like take it seriously and reconnect with the folk history. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, don't just look at it as a time to, you know, trick or treat or whatever. But I mean, it's there's powerful meaning right. behind this time of year. Yeah. You know, and uh, we all know that intuitively. We have like this racial memory and this racial understanding that there's something important going on right. this time of year, you know, and, and, and trust that, mm -hmm. you know, trust your intuition around that. And, and um, you know, like we said, do some of these things like reconnecting with nature and, you know, it makes a big difference. Right. And there's something beautiful, even with trick-or-treating, you know, as I take my children, I, I almost teared up multiple times, you know, seeing these old ladies out there with their candy bowl and like they're, you know, they're interacting with their yeah. community. And I actually was thinking to myself, what other holiday do we come together like this? And, sh you know, here's some candy. And then the, the kids are like, thank you. And then that is an energy exchange. It is. Absolutely. Between everyone in the community. So it's actually really sad to me that it's been demonized. And I see less and less houses, you know, like participating in it because you know the people that are open to it it's beautiful you know the kids are dressed up like elves and fairies and you know it doesn't have to be demonic you know it's almost mm -hmm. like they've projected it onto that but they've like, made it evil 
why can't, essentially but it's not evil right like why can't yeah. we just you know celebrate together and like let the kids play and have wonder and dress up because that's how they're gonna connect you know to it but then we can have our own sacred rituals that we teach them as well yeah you know so when i was a kid you dressed up and you could just go anywhere to any random house and it was safe and get yeah it was safe and you could get candy and people would come to your house people you never knew right they and would just Christians drive up. even you know i think yeah. my husband's Grandma is like the most Christian woman I've ever met, and she loves Halloween. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, you know, this it's almost like a new thing <laughs> where they just started, you know, they've rediscovered the evil ways of Halloween when our grandparents were celebrating it in their own way. Mm -hmm. And I think even that little way of celebrating, just doing the candy and trick-or-treating community stuff, that's at least enough to reconnect with that energy at the time, yeah, you know, absolutely. and like to dress yes. up and to play and have fun. Mm -hmm. Um and so it, it's, it hurts me <laughs> mm -hmm. that it's been demonized to the point where people won't even let their children, oh, I know. you know, dress up or like participate so in any way. So, you know, so yeah, well, thank you so much yeah. for making My this pleasure. with me. I can't wait to share it with everybody and I'm going to release it right on Halloween. So yeah, it's that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I know that everyone will really love it. So thank you so thank much. Thank you, Astro. And thank you all for tuning in. Check us out next time on the Astro Hour.